Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Riley Smith. A belated happy Thanksgiving to you and yours from all of us here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I hope you're all enjoying the leftovers from what is always, in my opinion, the most delicious meal of the year. Welcome to this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. Russ Parker, Dustin Huffman, and Mark Magnuson will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a look at the news headlines. National Farmers Union President Rob LaRue says the farmer's share of Thanksgiving food dollar continues to stay low. Corporate profits and consumer food costs continue to go up and up, but the farmer's share of the food dollar is still low, LaRue said. Thanksgiving is a time of family and community, but thanks to price gouging by corporate monopolies in the food system, the holiday meal is getting increasingly difficult to afford. The NFU says the retail price of turkey averages $1.99 a pound, and the farmer's share is $0.06 per pound. Two pounds of boneless ham retails for $12.98, with the farmer's share at $1. Even though consumers are paying more for food this year, almost none of that increase is getting passed on to America's family farmers and ranchers. Mega consolidation in the food sector has made supply chains uncompetitive and resulted in farmers being underpaid. In other news, the USDA mailed survey codes to all known U.S. ag producers with the invitation to respond online to the 2022 Census of Agriculture at agcounts.usda.gov. The ag census is the nation's only comprehensive and impartial agriculture data for every state, county, and territory. By completing the survey, producers across the nation can tell their stories and help generate impactful policies to better serve them and future ag producers. Farmers of all sizes, urban and rural, that produced and sold $1,000 or more of products, or normally would have in 2022, are included in the census. The census will get mailed in phases, with paper questionnaires following in December. Producers only have to respond once, either online or by mail. Responses are due February 6th of 2023. And in other news, 2022 will be remembered as a year of volatile market conditions. Harvest is all but finished at this point, and as we've mentioned many times on here, it's a good time to reflect on the successes and struggles from this year's crop. It's also important, though, to look ahead to the start of the 2023 season. Matt Erickson, Economic and Policy Advisor with Farm Credit Services of America, said there's going to be a lot of focus on interest rates and the crops down in South America. Sure. You know, when we look at the, the supply and demand fundamentals of corn and soybeans, first and foremost, we're basically at the tail end of harvest. Harvest is basically finished. And we entered 2023 basically under a tight supply situation. You know, you look at, you know, the corn stocks to use were about 8.3 percent. Um, as of the November WASD, soybeans were at about 5 percent. Both are under the 10-year average. And so that signals that, you know, relative to use, stocks are relatively tight. Uh, prices are, are relatively good given that tight supply situation. All attention now, I think, is going to be we've been in this weather market basically since, you know, end of June, where much of the Midwest had that flash drought, but we also had some macroeconomic variables, higher interest rates that brought down some of that demand. Weather market basically started from August until the tail end of har- harvest. Now I think a lot of the focus is going to be on. One, what the Fed does continues with interest rates, but two, you know, what South what the South America crop's going to look like. And, you know, could they have a third consecutive year of drought? It's way too early to, to know because they're, they're planting their crop right now. But, you know, oftentimes when we think about high-priced environments, 
you know, supply situations correct themselves pretty quickly. And so South America has a, you know, just a normal crop or, you know, a record crop that USDA is projecting. You know, we could see we could see overproduction internationally here, given the situation. For more information, visit FCSAmerica.com. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. Check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. We'll go ahead and kick it over to Russ Parker with his faith-based food for thought right here on Weekend Ag Matters. Do you remember the first team that you were ever a part of? Perhaps it was a sports team or maybe the school science team or something like that. The word team has a couple of different meanings, but perhaps the most familiar is about a group of players in a competitive game or sport. I recall as a young person and being a really small guy, being picked first for the football team was probably not going to happen. But if it involved a foot race or hockey, I was usually higher on the list because I could run fast and skate better than most. And as we get older, the definition of team morphs into a different idea, which still has a lot to do with who plays well together, but in a different context. We've all heard the question, are you a good team player? Meaning, as an individual, can you blend and work together with others as they come together to achieve or accomplish a common goal? And there are all kinds of teams that fit this definition. Teams that you might have at work, volunteer organizations like foundations, their ministry teams, the list is endless, it seems. But one of the key components of a successful team applies to both definitions, commonly called surrounding yourself with good people. And this applies to all tiers of an organization from those of us who work in the trenches performing the daily tasks to those who see the process from a higher level. So I'd invite you to examine your own personal team and what team are you a part of? What's your common goal? Who are you in the trenches with and who oversees you on a higher level? My choice is to be on Christ's team and surround myself with God's people with the goal of securing a place in heaven. I hope that we're on the same team. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thanks, Russ. And that's it for segment one of this week's show. Coming up after this short break, Dustin talks with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. This is Weekend Ag Matters. Every detail matters when building a winning game plan. That's why the Cyclones and Hawkeyes rely on better, cleaner-now biodiesel to power their team buses on game days, delivering success on the field, in the field, and in the environment. Make biodiesel part of your game plan by visiting IASoybeans.com. Biodiesel. Request it. Grow it. Use it. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Well, 
Welcome back to this edition of Weekend Ag Matters. I'm Dustin Huffman on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Right before Thanksgiving, I had the chance to talk with Iowa Senator Joni Ernst. We talked about the farm bill and the hearings that are underway right now. We also talked about the impending train strike coming up in December. And here's what she had to say about both of those topics. Well, we have actually started working on the farm bill. So it's been uh, very good to start those initial meetings and understand a path forward. And we know how important this is to our Iowa farmers and ranchers. So we'll be very diligent. We are blessed, of course, to have Senator Chuck Grassley back with us in this next Congress. And he also serves on our agricultural committee. So we'll be working very hard to make sure our, our Iowa interests are represented on that committee as we're working on this reauthorization. So exciting times there. Um, one of the other things that we are paying very close attention to is the railroad strike, the potential for a strike coming up in December. And we continue to encourage the administration, uh, of course, to, to pressure the workers and the unions to come together with the railroads and find a solution that averts a shutdown. So uh, we don't want to see that strike happen, and we're hopeful that uh, all parties involved will come together in the end. Well, let's go back to the farm bill, first of all, Senator. Obviously, we know that there are going to be several factors that are always negotiated heavily, let's just put it that way, for the milder term. But, you know, one of those being crop insurance and the safety net. Now, in 2018, it was a lot different. The prices were a lot lower. Now, some people outside of agriculture might see that, especially in the full Senate, possibly, where they see that, hey, the markets are higher. Why do they need all this safety net and not understand the input costs and, and the situation that this is an insurance policy that farmers buy into as well? Right, and you hit the nail on the head. A lot of folks see those higher uh, commodity prices and they think that farmers are getting rich. And we know that that's not true with the input costs. And so we're gathering up all of that information from our farmers and and uh, from the co-ops and so forth, and just helping paint a picture for the other members on our agricultural committee. Many of them do understand uh, what is going on in our farm communities right now, but it's a lot of those other members that maybe don't serve on the agriculture committee. And so we have to do a very good job at painting a picture on why we really need this reauthorization, why it's so important that we provide those safety nets for our farmers. Because uh, as I've said many times over, uh, I think everybody here in the United States really likes to eat. Um, so it is important that we are supporting our ag community and, and making sure they're able to produce, feed, fuel, and clothe the world. Another part of that farm bill that usually brings contention, I know, is with the SNAP programs and, and that part of the farm bill and those titles in there. I mean, what can be done to make sure the people who are needing the programs are getting what they need and getting an adequate supply of food they need, especially when we're combating inflation and things like that this time of year? Yeah, this is also a very tough one because we have seen inflation just rip through our communities and all across the United States. I just did a visit with the Open Door Mission and they were talking about how difficult it is this year. They have increasing numbers of families that are coming to get donated food and yet their donations are down as well because of the food costs. A lot of families just can't donate the at the levels that they have in past 
past years. And so a lot of families are really struggling with this. And, and they did talk about the USDA supports that they get to help some of their food programs. And we see this in our schools as well. I met a couple of months ago with a, a group of what we call our school lunch ladies. Um, the folks that have to do the planning for the meals and the rules and regulations that they are subjected to when they are working through the menus for our uh, school children. So it's a it's difficult all the way around. Food costs have gone up. Uh, but again, going back to the root cause, we've got a lot of input costs that have gone up for our farmers, ranchers and growers. And so this is out of control. And yet we have an administration that uh, refuses to acknowledge the the additional energy costs, the cost of fertilizer. Uh, and there are things that we can do about this, but the administration just doesn't want to budge on it. Um, so it's it's a difficult time, but you're, you're right. And that uh, SNAP and a lot of these food programs will be extremely important to reauthorize, not just for this uh, upcoming year, but for years beyond if we can't get inflation under control. They also brought up the railroad strike situation and, you know, here at our studios, we're right across this road from the ADM rail yard here. So definitely see a lot of ag commodities moving through across the street. And, you know, when we're talking about this, you know, it's not only what happens if they do shut down, it's the days ahead of time. We were in the 11th hour, you know, just a couple months ago before the deal was brokered and they were already starting to move crews closer to home, getting goods off the rails so they didn't sit there before the strike and so you're talking about disruption that starts days in advance if we don't get something done yeah absolutely and yes you're you're right uh, that 11th hour you know commuter trains um were stopping of course those trains that haul our commodities we see a lot of coal trains coming through uh, my area here in southwest iowa you name it a lot of goods are traveling by rail and it is vital to the u.s economy there is an estimate that if the railroad would go, if the railroads go on strike, it would be at a cost of $2 billion every single day to the US economy. We don't want to see that happen. But what I want to see is that these labor unions uh, representing the railroad workers and that the railroads can come together. We need the administration to really get involved and bring these groups together to work out an agreement. We want to make sure that those railroad workers, um, many of them are working a lot of overtime away from home, that they are getting the time off that they need. And there is a worker shortage, which is impacting all the way around. And so I know this is a very difficult uh, problem to have, but we hope that they can come up with those solutions and that Congress does not have to intervene at the 11th hour. So I'm just encouraging all of those groups to come together, do the right thing, um, make sure that you're treating your workers fairly and making sure that we can continue to see our goods move by rail. Now to wrap up here, uh, Senator, obviously you talked a little bit about, we talked about input costs being high. We talked fertilizer being one of those many inputs, but obviously as farm bill negotiations are going on and we look ahead to next year, a lot of farmers, while they have locked in, they aren't locking in prices they would like to see, and they understand that prices do go up when you're talking 300% increases. And you've you, you've talked with different companies before about this, but what kind of things do farmers need to know on this occurring debate over the subject that's going into 2023 and into this farm bill? 
Well, I would just warn our farmers, of course, that we continue to see high prices and we will probably continue to see those. We've really pushed back on the administration, trying to find various avenues where we can lower the input cost to our farmers. Uh, however, we haven't had a bite from the administration. We know that energy costs really drive inflation and a lot of these prices across the board. It doesn't mat matter what it is, but yet we have an administration that refuses to engage really in the energy space. We need to see the unleashing of American energy. We could lower some of those costs, whether it's fertilizer production, um, drying of grains as we're bringing in harvest, you name it. Um, energy is behind so much of the costs that, that we are experiencing right now um, as American farmers, growers, ranchers, and consumers. So again, we continue to encourage the administration to really unleash American energy. It would alleviate some of the concerns surrounding inflation but uh, we don't see that lessening at any point soon. We'll have more from our conversation with the Senator coming up on future episodes of Ag Matters PM. But for right now, that's the end of my segment. And we'll come back here in segment three to wrap the show up with Mark Magnuson. November is full of observances which tie into the ag industry. There's National Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week, National Farm City Week, National Better Conservation Week, the Thanksgiving holiday, and so much more. Take the time to share the story of what your family farm is doing to be better stewards of the land and water. Look at ways your farm can contribute to the benefit of your local community. Also consider making a donation of food and time to help those who are less fortunate than yourselves. Do what you can to make an impact in the world around you this month and always. This message is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Mark Magnuson. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Mark Magnuson. Last week, I had the chance to speak with Dale Stevermer, a board member with the National Pork Board at the annual NAFB convention in Kansas City. We discuss farming sustainably, how much hog farming has changed in the past 50 to 60 years, and what consumers like to ask when it comes to buying pork products. Here is Dale Stevermer. Mark Magnuson with the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm joined by Dale Stevermer. He is a board member of the National Pork Board. Dale, what is front of mind right now for you when it comes to just the big picture? What have people been excited to talk to you about here at a show like Trade Talk and just want to get your opinion on? Right. So at, as we look at um, the, the top, top three things that we're focused on for the National Pork Board, um, it, when you look at where our budget is, that's where our focus is. We're looking at um, demand enhancement, both domestic and international. We're looking at prevention and, and preparation for a foreign animal disease. So those are two buckets. The one I'm really talking about and excited about is, is our sustainability progress. And, and it goes back to, you know, 15 years ago, worked together with NPPC to, to as, as we kind of looked at um, as preserving our freedom to operate as producers across the nation, we, we saw various different organizations that were trying to reduce, reduce things. And we just put together a We Care platform is what we call it, looked at the six pillars of, of things that we want to impact, you know, our, our people, 
the pigs, the, the health of our pigs, uh, how we handle them, food safety, our involvement in the community and the environment. So at, fast forward a few years and we did a life cycle analysis that looked at what's the impact on the environment from raising pigs in the mid 60s and how has that changed to 2015. So over that 50 years there was tremendous progress made both in genetics and nutrition and housing that really reduced the amount of land that was used to raise a pound pig. What would it look like to see a farmer, if you could somehow do it, from 1960 to walk into a modern operation, would his head just spin? I really think it would. In fact, I think sometimes my head spins because because there's a lot of a lot of things going on. I mean, yeah, you know, if they if they hadn't seen the evolution of what technology is, and then all and then you go in, and you got um, you, you know, you got digital displays of what temperature is, and you know, you're you're monitoring your water usage and things like that. You know, there a lot be a lot of questions of why why are you doing this when you know it it worked in the past. Well, it it did, but each incremental change we made was an improvement and an improvement partly in bottom line. So that's always a key to sustainability. Am I going to continue to make more money, or at least continue to make money? so I can be doing this next year. And that was something I was going to bring up. There's, I think, a negative stereotype from maybe outside not farmers that they think that farmers turn away from sustainability because they think it's going to impact them negatively, whereas that's not the case because in the end, you're going to be trying to run your operation as efficiently and as effective as possible, which is good for the farmer. That that part is right. The, the thing that is out there is change and that may not be driven by how the farmer feels inside as to how, the, how, how to change. And sometimes it's change that's different than the way dad did things, the way grandpa did things. And so both of them are, are, are tough to get over. Um, the, and, he, and if change is forced on you, it's even harder. But if you get led forward, incentivized a little bit to look at things in a different way and not just try, but do. And you got a little Yoda quote coming in. Uh, <laughs> But it's important to, to to do and 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 go forward and say, I really, I, I can make this work. And so here's how I'm going to make it work. And have you met several farmers that have fit that description where maybe they were a little bit, you know, standoffish, a little bit pushing back on that initially, but because it hadn't been the way they'd done things always, but if they were able to try that out or maybe dip their toes in, they actually did see the positive side of it? There have been more conversations, and, and part of it is... You know, there's been a slow adoption of different types of agronomic practices, whether it's no-till, cover crop, however, and and strip-till. I mean, you, you see this out there, and then you, you see the same person able to do that for, for a few years, and you begin to realize, well, maybe they know something, and let's have a conversation about what you're doing and, and why you're doing it and what are you seeing. So it's, it's a slow spread, and, and that probably is probably too slow right now but if we're in incentivizing if we're kind of in a sense making a little bit of an insurance platform in there to prevent any big hits because you made a change um, the adoption could be better and then one of the topics you mentioned right off the bat just I think kind of expanding and trying to overseas markets and always trying to find new ways to promote uh, pork here in the United States and would you say that process right now in a very good place? It, it is and, it, and it's a continual evolution um, and and one of the things we're seeing 
is a little, there are questions being asked by, by consumers of pork. Um, you know, and, and some of the questions are, you know, is this, is this good for me, good for my family, is it good for the planet? Um, we're also trying to address that good for me. Is it nutritious? But is it good for the planet? As we start looking at real data coming off 150 farms, we're seeing that there is carbon sequestration of three-tenths of a ton per acre for the use of soy manure. There is a reduction, 80% reduction in soil erosion from the use of swine manure across, across ground. So that is a positive story, and that's, that's one we can start bringing out it and by by using these reports that are um, that are funded by checkoff dollars there's no additional cost to producers for these for these reports uh, you know we can we can even go into the international markets where some of these questions are being asked the United States is a low cost producer of pork in the world with that comes a connotation of um, we're abusing the land you know we're you know we're ex we're mining we're mining out too much out of the soil we're not we're not doing anything we can show that you know we're we're also uh, when you look at these sustainable metrics we're some of the best producers in the world on hitting those metrics too so not only are we low low cost but we're high sustainability and and that will open more doors and and keep them open probably as a bigger as a big as as big of a risk I and mean, there's two risks in the international market opening the doors but keeping them open and 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 this hits both of them dale is there anything else you'd like to let our producers back in iowa know when it comes to the national pork board and just anything that's got your attention right now well one of the big call outs is to um visit uh porkcheckoff.org sustainability sign up for an on-farm sustainable report and look forward to hearing from from producers during the next year Dale, thank you so much for the time. Have a great rest of the Trade Shock show. It has been a fun time. That was Dale Stevermer, a board member with the National Pork Board. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Don't forget you can find all of our content on our website at iowaagnet.com. For Dustin Huffman, Riley Smith, and Russ Parker, we wish you a happy Thanksgiving weekend from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. I'm Mark Magnuson. Join us again next week for another episode of Weekend Ag Matters.